Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum, so happy to be with me this week. My guest today is one of the all-time legends of the game, Magnum TA, the boss himself, is here with us on the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. He's got a new project, podcast that he started with Greg Gagne, and uh, it's hosted by Don McDangelo called Gagne and Magnum. They talk about all their old times in wrestling and all the current uh, game as well. He's also involved with the Powertown wrestling figures that we talked about with Greg Gagne, too. Magnum is just a fascinating story. I mean, just a quick career, but so much happened in it. The I Quit match with Tully Blanchard, the partnership with the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Just a real fascinating guy to talk to and just a real super nice guy to talk to, too. So here we go with my interview with Magnum TA. All right, so honored to be joined today by the boss himself, Magnum TA. Magnum, great to have you today. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. So so wonderful to have you on here. Uh, let's start with your newest project in wrestling. You're now hosting a podcast with Greg Gagne, hosted by Dominic D'Angelo, called Gagne at Magnum. How did this come about? How are you liking it? And uh, how much had you ever interacted with Greg Gagne before this? Well, to be to be honest, you know, Greg kind of came along 10 years ahead of me in the business. So we weren't like our in-ring things weren't really coordinated together, but he and I have been working actively uh, for the past almost three years on a little project uh, called Powertown Wrestling, uh, creating unique uh, one-of-a-kind action figures for wrestling legends that never previously had any kind of memorabilia like that. So we've been working so tight at the hip on that project that uh, we've gotten deeply uh, engaged with each other and we found we've got a lot of uh, similar past and certainly passions for the for the business and and our in the history of it and uh, it's just been a real fun relationship had you ever worked with him before had you guys crossed over in WCW maybe even a little bit or a little bit when he was uh, working as an agent at WCW uh, just I mean just for a minute I wasn't there uh, too long uh, after he'd gotten there. And then I left and he stayed on for another good little bit. And then he departed as well. So, uh, you know, the only, the only times we really crossed paths, like back in my in the ring days, I wrestled at that uh, big show in Comiskey Park that his dad put on a big super show outdoors and uh, a Russell wow. Flair for the title outside there. So I, I got to, uh, you know, interact with them a little bit, you know, on that level. And I, of course, you know, Vern was, you know, legendary in the business and just a, uh, you know, I had become just a promoter by the time I came along, but, uh, Rick and Rick Flair and Steamboat and everybody that had come out of that camp oh, had God, just yeah. told me so many 
you know, just crazy stories about, uh, you know, Gandhi's camp and how tough it was. And, you know, the, the number of stars that he produced out of that is like second to none. So, uh, you know, it's a great piece of wrestling history. And, and like I said, it's a great friendship that's developed uh, alongside it. You know, he's, he, like Flair, is 10 years older than me. So even though we swam in the same pool, yeah. uh, you know, like I said, he was a little, little farther ahead in the game than I was. It's probably good to consistently remind him that you're the junior member of the uh, the tag team. Is uh... I, I, I will do that occasionally, though. I will have to say Greg looks better at, at his age than, than most 50-year-olds. So uh, he's uh, he stayed in great shape. He looks like a million bucks and, uh, you know, done, done you know, really, you know, well to uh, have persevered through uh, all the years like he has. Yeah, we, we had him on the show weeks back talking about the Power Town stuff and other things in his career, too. You guys both seem from the from the clips I've seen of the show that you, you both keep up with the current wrestling quite a bit. Have you been consistently a fan of wrestling since not being as associated with it? You know, you don't ever <laughs> once you've been engulfed, you know, in the business to on a on a pretty good scale like Greg and I both do. You don't really ever get out of the uh, the conversation. I guess is, is the right word because people are always asking you your take and your you know your feel for the current product and you know what you think reminds you of things from the past and all these different things and. And, uh, you know, I was a fan of wrestling before I got into business, certainly remained a fan, you know, after my in-ring career uh, ended in 86 and worked in the industry up until 1991 for uh, for WCW. But, yeah, I have maintained relationships with uh, so many of my peers at these conventions and, and things that, uh, you know, get made available to us, allow us to reconnect and certainly social media and gives us a whole nother avenue uh, because we're, you know, we're able to see what's going on in each other's lives and, you know, comment on it. And it's kind of a cool way to stay connected uh, with, with everything going on. And then, and then kibitzing and talking about the current product because, uh, you know, the product is a ever evolving, you know, kind of art form. And, you know, one can argue, Oh, well, you know, a certain era was better than another era or whatnot, but, it's kind of like arguing uh, entertainment. You know, I, I grew up watching John Wayne and Charles Bronson and Clint Eastwood and actors that were the top of their game, you know, in the day. But the, the whole genre of entertainment has changed so drastically. And wrestling, in turn, has, has changed along with it to keep up with the times. Because, uh, you know, frankly, you know, the, the monies and, and things being generated by the superstars of today is, you know, a hundredfold yeah. what what it was 35 years ago. And uh, it has become a multi-billion dollar worldwide, uh, you know, business and highly successful on, on multiple fronts. And it's because they're, you know, they're listening to what the fan wants. The attention span's different. The expectation's different. And uh, consequently, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a whole different product, but, the theme is still the same. It's still athletes, still depicting a uh, you know athletic comp contest, a competition, albeit uh, a little more uh, superheroish today, shall we say, with the uh, extended high spots and 
and high risk maneuvers, but it's something I'm still passionate about. And I've still got some good friends out there doing it. And, uh, you know, and I wish them all the best. And I'm glad to see it's still alive and, and uh, flourishing in 2024. Absolutely. And uh, one of the top stars wrestling nowadays is Cody Rhodes, who, if I'm not mistaken, is your godson. So uh, what, what have you thought about Cody's run uh, chasing toward the title? And uh, does it remind you of anybody? i tell you what. He, Cody is he, is, he is truly, you know, the evolution of the American dream. And uh, I just uh, just watched he CM Punk last night exchanging words and a, a great, uh, great exchange uh, before the big pay-per-view they've got, you know, coming up because they're both, you know, aiming towards their aspirations of what they want to do at WrestleMania. And, uh, you know, Cody is, you know, constantly made himself better, recreated himself, you know, evolved into, you know, this character that he is today, which I think he is the epitome of everything you could ever want in a baby face character today. Now, I know, you know, there's people cringe you know, when you say baby faces and heels, but it's still the, you know, it's still the naming conventions that us old old school guys are, are accustomed to. But Cody truly is, you know, the 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 competitor that 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 everyone can cheer for, whether he's wearing the three piece suit or not. He's still the kind of the underdog story trying to go back, recapture uh, a dream that was started by his father that was never realized in that he never became, you know, a WWF at that time world's champion. And, uh, you know, Cody certainly has the opportunity at his age and, you know, being at the top of his game to achieve that in his career. And, uh, you know, I think that story is, you know, is not completed. Will it be completed at WrestleMania? You know, no, I, I can't. I can't really speak to that. I don't have any insider knowledge. I think it's uh, it's going to be highly difficult today. Looking at uh, the Rock's now, you know, connection with uh, TKO and the promotion, and being back in front of the cameras, I can't help but think, you know, he and Roman Reigns would be center stage at WrestleMania. But uh, you know. And until it happens, I guess we'll, we'll all be waiting to see. Yeah, there's a lot of hooks to get you to watch because there's a lot of different directions can go in. And the cool thing about uh, we're recording this on uh, one, two, three of all days, January 23rd, good day for a wrestling uh, podcast. But uh, Punk and Cody going back and forth last night, it's that, uh, you know, they're really drawing you in with the words, which is something in your generation, you, you were excellent. You, you looked really cool as you know, for me watching as a kid, but you were absolutely great on the mic. Is there anything you would tell wrestlers looking to find their voice on the mic or did that, did that really just kind of come naturally to you? It, you know, it, it seemed very natural in, in the finished product. It took me a, a real solid six months of trying to figure out, who Magnum TA was, who the character was for me to kind of make that my own. Uh, and today, in today's time, of course, there's writers and creative people that are, you know, influencing heavily, you know, all the content that we're seeing on, on TV. Somehow in your headspace is 
there's got to be something about this character you're portraying that is like some pers- inner huge personification of something in your inner self. Because if you can't make yourself relay the words with passion and the fact that you believe what you're saying, so you can convey that same sentiment and feel to the audience you're speaking to, you know, I don't think you'll ever really move the needle. Uh, there's been a lot of guys that can speak and, and, and speak well and, and rattle off words, but being able to appeal to people and tug on their heartstrings and find something that they can relate to uh, in their own lives. And so that they're then living vicariously through you, the struggle and, and the challenge that you're speaking to and speaking of. That's what, that's what sucks them in. And it's even, you know, they can say, oh, well, it's hard to do today because cave paves broke. But, you know, if you go to see a movie and there's a great, some great lines delivered in that movie that, that, you know, move you and, and impact you, you know, it's a movie and somebody actually wrote those words for that actor that's portraying it. But if something is done so well that you get out of your own head and become like, you know, part of what's going on with those individuals and it moves you somehow emotionally like that, that, you know, that's the key. And I, I don't know that, uh, you know, there's a class that can teach that. I know Dusty, you know, when he, when he had the, you know, work down there with NXT, he, he didn't call it like a wrestling class or he, he calls it like a drama class. He was, he was teaching these kids how to find themselves. And I remember him talking to me about working with Ashley after her brother had passed and helping her find her voice and find her way to, you know, bring out that character. And, uh, you know, that's what a mentor coach you know, person really needs to be doing with these kids just like he did to help them find their way so that that, that you know, whatever it is that they're portraying is not so far of a stretch that you can tell they're uncomfortable in their own skin. And then it comes across that way in the delivery. What was it like the first time you met Dusty Rhodes? It was bigger than life. It was kind of surreal. Uh, I had I'd only seen Dusty perform a few times when he came into the Mid-Atlantic territory when I was a teenager uh, watching watching wrestling. And then when I was in, I remember my my uh, freshman year of college, I used to go across the street from the college and see the wrestling magazines on the shelf in the in uh, in the store. And you know he would always you know, I'd, I'd see him and superstar Billy Graham and Bruno and different guys from, from New York, you know, on the, on the front of the magazines. And I was thinking to myself, you know, what an unlikely looking guy when, when I was naturally drawn to, you know, the, the guys like uh, Steamboat and Snooka and, you know, these guys that had, you know, these amazing physiques, superstar Billy Graham, though I hadn't seen, you know, superstar work, mm-hmm. but I mean, just the way they look, their persona, and then when I met him in person, I realized that he was something so much bigger than what what was portrayed in the package. He had this charisma and and an ability to you know, express himself 
like no one I'd ever been around. And he also had these dreams going on in his head about things that he wanted to do and things he wanted to produce and, and events that he wanted to, to create. Uh, and as I rode up and down the road with him and, and heard, you know, these things coming out of his mouth and, and, and then watched them become realities, uh, you couldn't help but admire this genius of creativity as well as this character that was so charismatic. He was like, you know, Jackie Gleason and Babe Ruth and Muhammad Ali, you know, in, in his, in his delivery, like all wrapped up in one. And though he didn't look the part of the, you know, typical superstar or super athlete, what he did in the ring could create riots and bring people to the edge of their seats or wanting to come in the ring to help them. And uh, he, you know, he taught me so much about the craft by watching what he did, how he did it, why he did it. And, uh, you know, he was just a, he was a really special friend. I, I started with him and met him in 1982 and championship wrestling in Florida. And, uh, and he, and he, we became great friends, spent a lot of time together. And when I got the opportunity to go to work for Mid-South with Bill and take on the Magnum TA persona, when I, when I saw, when I saw Dusty cheering me on as my career was starting to blossom and I was starting to get opportunities. And then when Dusty went on to become the, the booker, the you know lead creator for, what was going on in the Crockett organization and, and the work we did there together was like second to none. And so he, he backed me, he believed in me, he thought I could do, you know, anything under the sun that he could dream up. And I, I did my, my darndest to uh, live up to that. And he was just as big a good, a friend to me after the accident, after I was no longer, you know, able to be front and center and be, you know, the, the, the quarterback for the team, so to speak, as he liked to call me, uh, you know, his, our friendship remained, you know, solid right up to the day we lost him. That's, that's fantastic. Um, you, just backtracking a little bit, you mentioned the Magnum TA persona in Mid-South. One of the things about your Dark Side of the Ring episode that fascinated me was that that name came from Andre the Giant thinking that you looked like Tom Selleck, if that's accurate. Uh, did you agree that you looked like him, and what was your initial reaction? Well, first of all, I, I don't know if you ever got to spend time with Andre. Nope. But if you didn't, he wasn't someone that you really wanted to have a disagreement with. And and when he came up with a suggestion, uh, which was the first time anybody had ever come up with anything that grandiose for me personally, uh, I was very flattered and thought, hey, that, that really does have a ring to it. And, uh, you know, I had watched, I'd watched a TV show a few times and, Back then, I had, had shorter, curly hair, and I used to wear the Hawaiian shirts when I lived down in Florida, so I could kind of see where he was coming from. But it's funny because, it, you know, the name just became the name, and the character that I developed, you know, obviously had nothing to do with Tom Selleck or the Magnum P.I., you know, detective series or any of that stuff. It was a handle, but he but he had said to me very poignantly that I, that I was ready. I just needed a name. That would give me, you know, some some recognition that people can associate with and tie to, and 
his idea was to go back to New York, open the door for me with then Vince Sr. and me go to, to New York. But before he could get that accomplished, Paul Orndorff jumped from Mid-South to go to New York, which opened up his spot in Mid-South. And they called me and gave me that position. Wow. And that was the pivot. Wow, that's pretty that's pretty wild to think about all the what ifs. I mean, you know, whatever, you know, you have a great outlook on life and everything, but a lot of the things in your career are, you know, are okay, well, what would have happened if Magnum was ever in New York? What would have happened if Magnum was ever here? But it it's it's fascinating to kind of think about. Do you ever think about that of like where you would have ended up had things not ended? I think inevitably if if history had played the way that it did, and let's just say the Crockett dilemma, you know, played itself out because of, you know, their inability to, to, uh, you know, keep the finances part all straightened out. If they had lost, if they'd sold the company, my loyalty was to them. And of course, with to Dusty as well. But if Dusty's role in what was not the same, if the Crockett's were, weren't the people I was working for, then when that all went down, there's really good possibility I would have been thinking about making a move because that was uh, ter- the, what Turner's ideas were about the business and what to do with it and mine were totally different. And I'm, I'm not sure we would have seen eye to eye. Yeah, and honestly, you know, when you look back at your era, when you look back at your era in wrestling too, I mean, there, there were not as not that many you know, baby faces really at that time that were as hot as you. You got Hogan, you had Snooker, you had Kerry, maybe, and that was that was about it. That was uh, you were the guys back then. If you could take me back to like Crockett Mid Atlantic and explain just how hot that territory was, like how do you how do you describe it to people? Like what was it like being in that territory? Well, it didn't start off. It didn't just like pop immediately. It took six months uh, of, of kind of laying a foundation and then, and then Jimmy going in and bartering a deal to get us on the superstation to, to get everything to take off the way that it, it ultimately did. Uh, it was, uh, it was almost immediate. I would say within 30 days of being on the superstation, we went from uh, mediocre crowds to sell outs practically everywhere we were. Uh, the the talent that was that had I'd been part of and so successful with in Mid South, about eighty percent of those fellows came along behind me. Uh, the you know the greatest impact probably being uh, the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express wow. coming over. And uh, and when when Ricky and Robert came on, very first thing Dusty put them on. On a, on a syndicated program against the Russians for the world tele, the world tag team titles, and had had the whole segment allocated for that match, and they won the world titles on on the TV show, which was unheard of back back in that day. But it made them immediately, and you know it just took off a whole other group. So you know we had you know they had the Horseman Hot and Nikita Hot. And, uh, you know, the, the Midnight, the Rock and Roll, uh, Wahoo McDaniels, Manny Fernandez, Barbarian, uh, the list goes on and on. It was just, uh, you know, a stellar group of performers. 
And, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it, it was like, you know, riding the end of a lightning bolt. Did you intend your I quit match versus Tully Blanchard to be as insane and violent and intense as it ended up being? I remember showing that match to a new fan once in the early 2000s and trying to prepare him for the finish of that match to just make sure like, all right, we'll just, just be ready for what he does at the end. But like who, what was kind of the process for that whole, uh, I mean, obviously it was the culmination of a long uh, feud too. Culmination of eight months. And to be honest, aside from the fact that it was in a steel cage and we used, you know, a, you know what ended up being a dastardly looking weapon, you know, to, to get him to submit at the end, we had had equally or more violent confrontations all over, all over the United States because we'd been in a program that had been, you know, that, again, it was a end of an eight month program. And we were having that level of violence where we were fighting out on the floor three, three rows deep and ringside. And you know, I mean, just absolute craziness. And, to, and to me, honestly, the match, the match itself, aside from the finish was kind of tame by comparison of some other things that we've done. Well, Flair, Flair was the, Flair was the first one that I, I went around the loop with, and and uh, when we when we went on on uh, around the country with the Superstation, and we wrestled the hour draw matches all around the loop. I think it was like nineteen total in a month that we did, and, and kind of we're trying to you know showcase the markedly difference between the the WWE, who is more aimed at just the sheer entertainment perspective. And we were still trying to depict a hardcore, you know, serious competitive type, uh, you know, wrestling match. So it was different content. And uh, so, you know, I got to do that with him, you know, followed by Tully. And then kind of the highlight reel for me was the best of seven series with Nikita because he was, he was a young guy. Uh, It had been, you know, been in the business maybe, a year, a year and a half or something. And uh, for to have the body of work that he and I had with uh, his you know, relative inexperience at the time, uh, to me really stood up and, you know, made me feel like we, uh, you know, we had reached a, plat- you know, a pinnacle that I was trying to be at so that in the event I had the opportunity to uh, wrestle with the world title, I could, I could wrestle with all different caliber uh, of athletes. And reliving some of those shows too. Uncle Ivan was always somebody I uh, grew to enjoy more when I watched the shows back that I don't think I enjoyed as much when I was watching them when I was a kid. Yeah, and and Ivan, Ivan, and, and uh, Crusher Khrushchev, and 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 uh, Baron von Raschke, you know, all those guys were you know just such a you know bunch of seasoned veterans uh, that you know there's just such a support team. There was such a depth. Honestly, that you know, from the opening match, if we had eight, eight or ten matches on a card, then that opening match could have been a main event, any you know, anywhere else at a venue in the country and drawn money. So we had money matches from the top to the bottom. There was no like, oh, oh, you're on the curtain jerker tonight. No, there's no curtain jerkers. They were all main events. Yeah. So we're going to move on to something we call the three count now. It's going to be three quick questions and your answers. First one, I know we've got the Iron Claw out now with the Von Erich uh, boys and their story. 
Who could play Magnum TA in a movie? Ooh, today. That's a really good question. It really could be any time, too. There's no real rules to any of this. <laughs> um, well, I haven't got a good I haven't got a good response for that. <laughs> you, you stumped me right off the bat. Um Hmm. It'd be like Dr. Fauci and just pick Brad Pitt for yourself. <laughs> nah, nah, I mean, I, you know, it, it, uh, it, I, I, I don't know, but I'll have to really give that some thought now that you've, you've thrown that out. Cause I have no earthly idea. All right. If any fans have any suggestions, I'd love to hear them too, because uh, I, f I feel like, you know, the obvious one in the eighties would be Selick, but then you'd just be reversing Magnums. So <laughs> You know, I don't know. Uh, second question, Magnum TA was kind of a loner in terms of uh, persona, other than your partnership with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes for the most part. If Magnum TA could join any group in wrestling in history, what would it be and why? It would have probably been something really outrageous, like the Outsiders, hmm. like, like Hall and Nash when they came to uh, WCW, because it would have to be like a, a fringe group, small group, rather than some big established thing. It could have grown into something bigger, but uh, I, I was kind of, I was kind of that fringe guy, like Stone Cold before the Attitude Era, and anti-authority, right? Uh, you know, and and you know, I, I as as my my journey progressed though i could do all the scientific wrestling maneuvers i enjoyed the brawls way more than i did doing tackles and drop kicks and leapfrogs and you know the the neoclassical babyface type things and stone cold got to take that to you know obviously the stratosphere but i was really acquiescing to liking that style and being very comfortable in doing that. And I think as, as my character had continued to grow, it would have, it would have gone so far in that direction that it would have been very, uh, almost anti-culture heroish type persona. And what's interesting about, uh, you possibly being in the outsiders is I think briefly in the AWA, Scott Hall's name in the AWA was, Magnum Scott Hall, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we, he and I got a couple of laughs out of that. We were uh, several several years back. He and I were at an event in uh, in uh, Las Vegas together, and got to sit and talk for a couple of hours. And he was laughing, telling me that that was whoever it was there in Kansas City at the time. That was totally this guy's idea for him to do. And I remember I went in and, and worked a shot there that uh, Crockett sent us over there to try to spruce up a show they were doing to help them draw, you know, try to draw a bigger house. And he and I actually did a photo sh shoot together of him and I. And it, and it looks like my giant brother, you know, <laughs> the picture of he and I together. But he laughed because he said, he said, you know, he said, on what planet does somebody in a small territory decide to rename somebody who's trying to get over 
after the very top baby face in the country. You know, he said, what he said, on what planet does anybody try to do that? He said it was he was embarrassed by it. He didn't want that in any way, shape, or form. He was just trying to kind of find his way. And uh, you know, and, and we were friends and and I just kind of thought it was cute. I didn't ever take any offense yeah. by it. But uh, but for him, he thought it was very awkward and, yeah, and really cool. not well thought out. That's great. <laughs> uh, third question could play into this. I don't know. Uh, who's got the best mustache in pro wrestling that does not belong to Magnum TA? And who said that? No, I'm I have the best mustache. Who, yeah. who, who's got the best one that that is other than you? Oh, other than me. Well, I, Rick Rude had a great mustache. Yeah. Uh, Jake Roberts had a great mustache. Um, I, I would say those two. Yeah. Both of them. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, Jake and I had such similar, you know, just our faces that one time when he and I were both in Florida wrestling, he was doing, he was doing a, uh, a out there in the little studio they had there doing a promo and I walked by and they had these little monitors all in the back where you're walking around. And I walked by and I saw, and it was just his head and the shot. And I thought I was out there. I said, how can I be out there? Did they tape this? And, and it was so, just so weird. But I mean, he and I had a very, very similar look facially in mustache wise and hair uh, at, at one point in our career. Yeah. It was almost spooky. When did you decide to move to the uh, the beard and not just the the mustache anymore? Uh, just out of my sheer uh, not liking to shave. <laughs> to, to be quite frank, uh, it, it, it fell off the top of my head, which I could do nothing about. And, uh, and, and I've never been a fan of shaving, so the the, the beard gimmick just kind of came along naturally. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, Magnum TA. It was a real honor to have you on today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. All the best with Ganya and Magnum, wherever you get your podcasts, the Power Town Wrestling Figures. I've uh, always been a big fan of yours and really appreciate you. the time today. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, I almost missed my cue, but I, but I really uh, enjoyed being here and I and, uh, look forward to catching up with you again in the future sometime. All right. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us this week on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I want to thank Magnum TA for joining us this week. I also want to thank Dominic D'Angelo for helping set this up. Follow me on Twitter at Under the Ring, where you'll hear all the latest guest announcements. And have a great week, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.